Welcome to the STSA Church Podcast. Each week, we discuss relevant, thought-provoking topics that challenge us to understand our faith more personally and engage in it more practically. We aim to communicate the depth and riches of our ancient faith in simple and understandable ways that are relatable to the modern world. We're in our finale about the se- of this series called Stories Jesus Told, The Kingdom Parables. And as we've seen since the start of this series, is we're talking about different parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God, because as we've seen, there's lots of misconceptions about it. And Jesus came, one of, you can say, his primary purpose on this earth was to clarify what the kingdom of God is, what's the criteria, and who it is that the kingdom of God is for. And as we've seen in this series, is there's lots of things that Jesus' original listeners were confused about, lots of misconceptions, lots of wrong ideas, And we've also seen, if we're honest, for us as well, we also have lots of wrong ideas. So we kind of look at them and like, they didn't know the full story the way we know, but some of those myths and misconceptions kind of creep into our heads as well. And why this is so important, because as we said in week one of this series, it's a lot harder to find something if you don't know what you're looking for. If I tell you there's a treasure, but I don't tell you what color, what size, where it's located, or how you're going to be able to find it, it's a lot harder if I say kingdom of God, kingdom of God, but one's looking for over here and one's looking for over there. So that's why Jesus came. That's why we're doing this series. And the number one misconception, okay, in our life group, this comes up every single week. I say the same sentence every single week. The number one misconception that we've seen from the start to the end of this series is that we think of the kingdom of God in earthly terms. The kingdom of God is not an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a heavenly kingdom. This is why, again, the first century Jews, this is why they missed it. They were looking for a king to look a certain way. They were looking for his kingdom to look a certain way. Very earthly, very power, very strong. And Jesus said, yeah, I'm the king, but I don't look like those kings. I am actually a different kind of king. And I got a kingdom and it's the most glorious of all the kingdoms. But don't compare it with those kingdoms because it doesn't look like them. They missed the true king and his true kingdom, even though it was right in front of their face because they were looking for the wrong thing. And that's a scary thought. That's why we're doing this series, because what we're doing here is we're seeing what Jesus said about the kingdom. And Jesus wanted, when something is very complex, the easiest way to to describe it is to tell a story. And that's what Jesus did. So instead of him coming out and saying the kingdom is one, two, three, four, he told stories. He told a story like the Good Samaritan. We looked at that in week one. And his message there was very simple. The kingdom of God is coming and it's coming right in front of you, but it might not come in the form that you expect it. And actually, as we saw in the Good Samaritan, what you least expect to contain the kingdom of God, that's where the kingdom of God is. The second week, we looked at the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus was saying, look, every kingdom has rules. Every kingdom has laws. And my kingdom has laws too. But the primary law is love. More than all those other ones about what you eat and what you drink and where you go and how far you can walk, love is the number one law. Third week, we looked at the mustard seed. And the mustard seed reminded us that usually we think the kingdom of God comes through big things. Kingdom of God is people who like, you know, start orphanages or leave their work and go serve in the jungles of Africa. Or that, that, that guy on the side of the road who's very disheveled with his hair, needs a haircut, who's screaming, repent and repent and repent. That's, that's not kingdom of God. No, 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 no. Kingdom of God is small little mustard seeds, but those seeds turn into big things. We looked at the barren fig tree and we saw that the kingdom of God is not in our best efforts. Best efforts is the same as dunging a dead tree. And if you don't know what dunging means, you missed week four in the series, go look it up. And then last week we saw that the fastest way to exit the kingdom of God, the fastest way to ensure that you will never live in the kingdom of God, the fastest way is comparison, is by looking around, is by judging yourself against others and others against yourself. That's the fastest way to get yourself on the exit track on the off-ramp to the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God, as we saw last week, is not merit-based. It's grace-based. And grace-based, as we said last week, grace is all about not our deed, but our need. And where sin abound, help me out here, where sin abound, grace abounds much more. So God doesn't give grace based on our deed. He gives it based on our need, and that's why comparison doesn't work. Bottom line, kingdom of God is here and it is available to everyone, but you got to know what you're looking for or else you'll miss it. Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21. When he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, when the kingdom, they asked when, when is the kingdom, when is the end, when, 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 
He said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. And we talked about this in week one. That expression within you doesn't mean like we take it in a spiritual way, like the kingdom of God is within us. That's fine. You could take it that way, but that's not literally what he meant. Within you, think of you as a plural and think of it saying in your midst. So think of Jesus standing in a circle of people, people all around to his right, his left, in front, and his back. And they're saying, when's the kingdom? When's the kingdom? When's the kingdom? And he's like, look around, look around. He didn't tell them when it's coming. He said, where? It's in your midst, meaning in the middle of the circle, meaning it is himself. He's pointing to himself as the true king and the true kingdom come with him. And I think he's saying the same thing to us right now. When is the kingdom going to come? And you look at the news and the world is so evil and it's so evil and there's all kinds of bad and the school system and the politics and the government and it's everything's fault. And I say, hey, 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 the kingdom of God is here in our midst. What are we complaining about? What are we complaining about? The world's been bad. It is bad. It will continue to be bad. That's not the criteria. We're not waiting for an earthly kingdom, are we? We're not waiting for an earthly king, are we? You don't think that whoever you vote for is going to come and save the world, do you? The true savior is already in our midst and the kingdom is here, but you got to know what you're looking for. Because if you're looking earthly and you're looking materialistic, you're going to miss it. You're going to say, God has left us and there's no kingdom. And he said, no, 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 it's here in our midst, but you got to know what you're looking for. And I hope throughout this series, there's one thing I thought to myself, like, what would be my, what would be like accomplishment? What would be like success from this series? My hope from this series more than anything else is to create inside you a hunger to want to taste the kingdom of God today and not say, I have to wait till I die to, to taste the kingdom of God. You wait till you die for the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. Again, we compare it to like engagement versus marriage. You don't got to wait till you're married to begin a relationship with your fiance. Okay, unless it was like maybe our parents' generation, they just kind of met on the wedding day. But that, that's not necessarily the way we do it in here now. Okay, you begin the relationship. Now it's not the fulfillment of the relationship. Boys and girls, you know it's not the fulfillment of the relationship during engagement. But there's a taste of it. And that's what we have right now. We have a taste. We have that engagement period, but then the fulfillment is there. So I hope that I've given you that desire, that hunger to taste the kingdom of God here on this earth. Now today's the finale. And we are going to end on a low note. We are going to go, Jesus gave many parables, depending on how you count, somewhere like 33, 35, somewhere around there, a number of parables. So we're not going to talk about them all. We're going to talk today about the last parable that he gave. Since it's the end of the series, we should do the last one that he gave. And the last one that he gave, I'll be honest with you, is kind of a downer. It's actually one that he gave days before his death. We're actually going to read it in Holy Week, so it's very fitting that we're reading it now as we're preparing for Holy Week. And it is the parable of the talents. You've heard of it before. It goes by two different names, parable of the talents or parable of the minas. Okay, they're two different, one's in Luke and one's in Matthew, but most commentators would say it's probably the same one, just told two different versions. It's a parable of talents and it's not about how to enter the kingdom of God. It's how, about how to lose the kingdom of God. That's what I'm saying. We're ending on a downer note. It's not about how to enter. We've been talking about that for the past five weeks. Today's message is not about how to find it. It's about how to lose it. Because I'll just give you the bottom. Let me bottom line this for you right off the bat. Here's our main message today. Then we'll read the parable and break it down. Our main message today is this. The kingdom of God can't be earned. That was last week, but it can be wasted. The kingdom of God can't be earned. That was last week. It's not merit-based to earn it, but it can be wasted, can be squandered, can be lost, can be buried in the ground. Today's message is all about opportunities wasted. It's all about people who were given the kingdom, about a group of faithful people who came to the master and were desiring the kingdom, and he put it in their midst, and he put it in their lap. But then what do you do with it? And what we'll see was one guy, he lost his opportunity and he wasted it. Let's get the context. This is Matthew chapter 25. Before we get to Matthew chapter 25, let's go a little bit of context. Matthew chapter 23 is one long, is one long chapter with really one speech. Same with Matthew 24, and they're both leading up into Matthew 25. Who knows what Matthew 23 is all about? It's a famous chapter in the Bible where Jesus says one expression over and over, and it is... Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So the, there was this discussion, the context is starting on a downer right off the bat. It's Jesus telling a group of people that you guys missed it. 
You guys missed it. I'm right in front of you and you guys squandered the opportunity. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. And woe is not a good thing that you want to hear coming from the mouth of, of, of God. Matthew chapter 24 is all about the end of the world. That's when Jesus talked about there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be great tribulation. Sun will be darkened. Uh, father against brother and, and sister and all and families. And then, and then it talks about how the day and the hour no one knows except the Son of Man. And then it says it's going to come as a thief in the middle of the night. So you have to be prepared because you don't know when it's going to come. So again, the woe to use and then the destruction and the wars and all that stuff. And then we get into Matthew 25 where Jesus illustrates these last two chapters by telling a parable of the 10 virgins. How you had 10 people waiting, 10 virgins waiting for the kingdom of God, 10 virgins who came to church on a Sunday morning. I mean, they were waiting for the master and they were waiting and they were ready and they were waiting and they were ready. But then five of them stopped waiting. Five of them lost it while only five entered. And that's why that parable, which is the verse prior to our parable, ended with Jesus saying this, Matthew 25, 13. He says, watch therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That's the setup for our parable of the talents. Our parable will begin in verse 14. That's the setup. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Past five weeks, we talked about how Jesus is bringing the kingdom and he's giving us the kingdom and it's in our midst and here's the kingdom. Well, today's message is going to be watch because the same way that it came in front of you, if you fall asleep, it could disappear. You may lose it. Not that he's taking it away from you, but you may miss it. Here goes our parable. We're going to read the whole parable straight through. It's a little bit long, okay, but stick with me. Get the whole story, and then we'll go back and break it down. Matthew 25, starting verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So, so far it's been pretty straightforward. Master came, gave you five, gave you two, gave you one. The five came back and said, you gave me five, here's another five. So the master said, that's a great return on investment. I gave you five, that's 100% return on investment. That's fantastic, well done. Two guy came back with two. Now we go to the one guy. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I told you we're gonna end with a downer. The final sentence talks about outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Whose favorite verse is that one right there? Who has that verse hanging up in their, in, 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 their, in their bedroom right there? Look, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, the first verse was the kingdom of heaven is like, and then the end is outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm going to go slow. I'm not going to rush through this one because if it starts with kingdom of heaven and it ends with outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth, 
That means there's a serious lesson right here that we need to take seriously. We're going to break this down into four lessons that Jesus taught us. Okay, and each lesson kind of progressively builds on the one prior. But like I said, we're going to go very break it down right here because when it's something this serious, we don't have time to mess around. So the first lesson doesn't start off too bad. The first lesson is that God distributes gifts universally and fairly, but not evenly. God distributes gifts universally to every person and fairly, the verse that we said, according, each according to their own ability, but not evenly. We talked about this a little bit last week, that fair and equal are not the same thing. That sometimes if you give everyone equal, you're not being fair. Sometimes to be fair, you don't give equal, okay? So God distributes to all fairly and universally, but not evenly. Because at first sight, it looks like God loves some people more than others. Like the master gave you five and you two and you one. How do you feel with the one people versus the two people? Versus? It seems like, okay, the master must love those people more than me. Even the two people, like he's only one, but that's like double. So it seems like the master just gives so much. And doesn't it seem this is the way it is in the world? Like some people, by the way, when we talk about talents, okay, talents, we're going to look at it in a broad context. Talents are gifts. Talents are resources. Talents are opportunities for us to enter the kingdom of God. So doesn't it seem like there's some people out there who have just been given more. They were born and they had the best parents. I had stinky parents. They were born, they were part of a great church. I didn't know nothing. No one ever taught me nothing. So it just seems like they're further ahead. And it seems like, again, here, the master is like perpetuating this, like I'm further behind because I haven't been given enough. They've been given more. Before you start to feel sorry for the one talent guy, before you start to feel sorry, let's ask ourselves a question. How much is one talent? When it says, okay, you said one year salary. A talent, it's actually more than that. A talent is a unit of currency. It's using a measurement. So it's not like a talent, like, like, you know, like, you know, I can juggle or not like that. Like some, like some people could juggle and, you know, do like this. That wouldn't mean like some people had lots of talents. It's not like that. A talent was a unit of measure. So a talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. 6,000 denarii. Last week, what did we learn about the value of a denarii? A denarii is what? One day's labor. A fair wage for one day's labor. A denarii is one day's fair wage for one day of labor. A talent is how many denarii? 6,000. Let's do the math. Let's assume 300 days per year. Remove the weekends from it. If you work 300 days per year, the average person would make 300 denarii per year. 6,000 denarii is 20 years salary. Some people had to take off their shoes. Okay, okay just trust me, okay? 6,000 divided by 300 is 20. So the guy that we want to feel sorry, I didn't get anything, God doesn't love me, I only got one talent, excuse me, one talent is 20 years salary. 20 years salary. So even the guy who feels like, I got nothing, I got nothing, I got nothing. Ah, you got more than you deserve. You got more than you could ask for. Like anybody expecting to walk into work tomorrow morning and get a times 20 increase in their salary? Not plus 20? Like if I got plus 20, yeah, that's great. I'm talking times 20. Anybody in their right mind would expect it? Well, the least in the kingdom of God, the least when it comes to God gets times 20. The least. This, what this tells us right here is that our God doesn't give small. Our God doesn't give small. Like the, the measuring spoons in his kitchen are each huge. Nothing is small. I don't know, I might date myself here. Anyone remember a show called Silver Spoons when we were kids? Silver Spoons, remember Silver Spoons? Okay, Ricky Schroeder, okay, or Rick, or that was his, Rick Stratton, that was his name, okay? For those who didn't watch it, shows were great back in the 80s, okay? They were simple, they were fun, they had no realism whatsoever, but they were just fun, right? So basically it was this, not to give away too much, I don't want to spoiler alert in case you want to go and binge, is basically this man who was a very rich man and he didn't know that he had a son, then all of a sudden his teenage son walks back into his life and like they start this fun relationship together and it's zany and witty and all that stuff. 
But because the dad was so rich and he'd never had a kid, all of a sudden he's got a teenager, he didn't know how to give normal things. So the kid said like, you know, I want a video game. Next day he had an arcade in his house. He didn't have a video game, like an arcade. The kid wanted a bike. So he had like a supercharged, like the top of the line, whatever. I remember there's one episode I remember vividly, but I just remember dumb things. There was one episode where Ricky got into like a, a fight at school or something like that. The next day, Mr. T was standing at his, at his desk as his bodyguard. Like the dad didn't know how to do small things. The dad didn't know how to give like just a little bit, just slight improvement. Everything is big. That was God. That's God. Our God doesn't give small. Our God, the smallest piece of heaven, the smallest piece of heaven is 20 years salary that's just given to me. And that's the smallest thing. But the key is, as I said in the beginning, the kingdom of God is not earthly. So you look at it and say, well, how come I don't have more money? How come I didn't have better health? How come I didn't have these parents? No, 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 no. It's not earthly. Spiritual. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 tells us, that his divine power has given to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. St. Peter is saying, there ain't anything that we're missing here. We got everything that pertains to life and godliness. So you say, oh, St. Peter, you must live in a big house. You must have a great job. You must have the nicest wife. Your kids must be like the, the neatest kids. They must be straight. St. Peter's like, no, I'm about to get killed. I'm poor. I got nothing. I got no retirement. I got nothing. So what are you talking about? That you got all things that pertain to life and godliness because I see that you're lacking a lot. No, no, no. Yeah, if you're looking earthly, yeah. But that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is spiritual. The kingdom is heavenly. And what this verse says right here is there's nothing that God hasn't given to us. He doesn't give us all the same. And that's why we talked about last week, comparison, no comparison. This is our problem is the comparison. But if we look at just ourselves, honest, we got to be honest, we got enough. We got enough. We got more than enough. Everybody has every, the, the, the principle of this parable. Everybody gets something, but not everybody gets the same thing. Everybody gets something, but not everybody gets the same thing. There's a, there's a, a line that we say, in the divine liturgy of St. Gregory, where we say that, speaking to God, you have not left us in need of any of the works of your knowledge. Okay, it's a little bit clunky in the English, but let me explain. You have not left us in need of any of the works of your knowledge. Means everything that I need to know you and to experience your kingdom. You haven't left us in need of anything. And I know that's hard to believe sometimes because we say, if God loved me, he would have given me this. And if God wanted me to be in his kingdom, he'd have given me this. And he wouldn't have made me have this. But this is where we have to trust that he hadn't left us in need of anything. You may not see it, but do you believe it? You're willing to trust it. That God gives to all fairly and universally, even if it's not evenly. So yeah, if you look at it, yeah, th those parents were better than yours. But you had a situation that you, a perfect situation, each according to his own ability, for you to glorify God and to experience his kingdom. Might not have been what you chose, but God chose it for you. Who you trust more, his choice or your choice. You look at it and say, my health, if only my health. You, God gave you the health that you needed to glorify him and to experience his kingdom. You believe that or you don't believe that? You believe that your plan would have been better than his plan? When all is said and done, I tell this to people all the time, when all is said and done, God will owe no one anything. When all is said and done and we stand in front of our maker, no one will be able to say, God, you did me wrong. No one will be able to say, God, you left me. You didn't give me everything that I need. Because even the least that we have is more than we could possibly imagine. So that's lesson number one. God distributes to all universally and fairly, but not evenly. Everybody gets something, but everybody doesn't get the same thing. Number two, every gift is an opportunity to glorify God and experience his kingdom. Every gift. And again, when I say gift, I don't mean just like abilities. I mean experiences. I mean opportunities. I mean resources. We all have different resources, but each one of us has enough that, that's there. And everyone is an opportunity to glorify God and experience his kingdom. Said another way, sometimes we have this idea that there are things that are good out in the world and things that are good in the kingdom 
but they're either one of those categories. So I don't have the gifts, like I don't have spiritual gifts. Like I'm not good at teaching. I'm not good at the Bible thing. Like I don't know the hymns the way other people do. My gifts are of no value. My gifts are secular. My gifts are worldly. And I say, no, 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 no. There's no such thing. Any gift, any resource is an opportunity to glorify God and to experience his kingdom, whatever it is. St. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophecy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What St. Paul's saying is, I don't care what your gift is. Use it for the glory of God. It's an opportunity to glorify God. So if you're good at, 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 at leading, lead. If you're good at mercy, do it with mercy. Like even exhortation. I don't know what exhortation means, but it sounds like yelling at someone. Like, I'm good at that. Like my kids will tell you, I'm very good at that. So there we go. Like I'm an exhortationer, okay? Like that's great, whatever it is. Yell for the glory of God. Like whatever it is. Sometimes we think of ourselves. I've heard people say this. Like someone came to me one time, said, Father Anthony, you know, I'm thinking of leaving my job. And I said, why? said, because I want to do something great for the kingdom of God. And I'm all for it. I'm not against it. But what I was trying to tell him is, you are doing something great for the kingdom of God. Because this person was extremely generous with, 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 with their income. Extremely generous. So I said, if you want to do something for it, but don't feel because you're not doing anything now. Because the truth is, like for example, to run a church, it costs money. So if God has given you the ability to make money and to be successful, and that's your gift. That's a great gift. Like we all think when the coffee is free, everyone's thankful that someone is supporting that, right? Like anybody complain about that? Like that's a great gift. Another person one time tell me, like I know a couple of people who are very successful in building businesses, very successful. So I said to them, you know what? Use, can you use that gift for the glory of God? Help me to build STSA because I'm not a businessman. I don't know how to run an organization. I don't know what I'm doing right here. So I know people who have built very successful organizations that here we are here at STSA, that we are reaping the fruit of their willingness to share and help as, at, at like that organizational level. One time, true story. This happened probably in 2014 or 2015, whatever it was. Someone walked into church, first day at church, attended church, the first day ever attended the church. And they heard me say something about like a building and we're praying about a, a building that we want to buy or something like that. And the person came to me, introduced himself, said, hey, I work in commercial development. Can I be of, of help? And I shook the hand and said, absolutely you can be. And that person has been instrumental in helping us to get to where we are and hopefully where we will be in a few months. There's no gift that can't be consecrated for God. There's no gift. There's no ability that can't be consecrated for God. I remember reading a, a book, uh, Reggie White. I remember Reggie White was a great football player. Okay, we're going back to the 90s today, okay? I took you back to Silver Spoon, now I'll go Reggie White. Played for the Philadelphia Eagles and the Green Bay Packers. And he was a very spiritual person. He wrote a book, and I don't remember the title of the book, but the little subtitle says, I hit hard for the glory of God. That's what he said, I hit hard for the glory of God. In the context of football is what he was saying, okay? Because he was a really good football player. But the point there is, whatever your gift is, no matter what it is, it's an opportunity for you to experience the kingdom of God and to glorify God him. Even the smallest of gift, even the smallest opportunity. What's the smallest, most trivial thing that you can do? How about this right here? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It says, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Did you know you can eat for the glory of God? Some of us say, amen, brother. <laughs> we like that. We eat for the glory of God. <laughs> My point is nothing is ever wasted if it is done for God's glory, no matter how small the gift, no matter how small the talent, nothing is ever wasted if it's consecrated for God and for his kingdom. Okay, lesson number three. God rewards faithfulness, not outcome. God rewards faithfulness, not outcome. We're starting to bridge our way into the negative. That last guy who didn't get the reward, who would say he didn't really have an opportunity because he only had one talent. But it was clear from the master's words that it wasn't a matter of the outcome because one guy got five and, and returned five. One guy got two. And the five and the two guy each heard the same reward from the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. So how could it be that the two and the five, like one got more than double the other? Because it's not a matter of the outcome. It's a matter of the faithfulness 
that goes into the gift. In other words, in the same way that God gives different gifts, this is an important one for those of you who say, not fair, not fair, not fair, not fair. In the same way that God gives different gifts, he also holds to different levels of accountability and responsibility. So you look at it and say, it's not fair. I haven't been given as much as that person. Well, I say to you, God is going to judge them very different than he's going to judge you. Because it's not, it's not a standard, objective, across the board equal. In the same way that the gifting was unique, the accountability will be unique as well. And if we go back to what he said here, okay, what he said to both the five and the two guy is the same thing, is the exact same words verbatim. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he tells him his reward. What is his reward? What is the reward that God gives for our faithfulness? So what it looks like on the screen, it says, you are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Exactly. That sounds like more work to me. <laughs> it sounded like, like you gave me in charge of this number of talents, which was a billion more than I could have imagined. Okay, because the five, if the, the one year, the one talent guy was 20 year salary, the five talent guy was how much? 100, okay, very good. Again, that, that, that was easy. Okay, that's, okay. That's 100 years worth of responsibility that's in front of him. And now it sounds like you did a good job with that, so I'm going to give you even more. That doesn't sound like a reward to me. Two things. First thing is there's always going to be a connection between love for God and service to God. There's always a connection. The two are directly linked. And not in a forced way, not in a like, okay, if you love God this much, show it by uh, serving in Sunday school or going on this mission trip or no, I'm not saying it like that. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm talking about when one naturally loves someone, then it is a natural outpouring to serve them. For example, let's say I show up tonight at my house, come home and it's late at night and I'm tired. And then I get up to bed and my wife is up there and she's tired and she's not feeling good and she says that she's thirsty. What happens next? <laughs> what happens next is you walk downstairs and you get her a cup of water. That's not thinking. That's not extra credit. That's not like, let me be a great servant of the Lord. That's not like, dear Lord, guide me and lead me into how I should service thy people. No. There's no thinking in it. Because I love her, if she's thirsty, and I'm standing, I go get her a cup of water. You see how it works? Love and service is a natural connection. And as one increases, the other increases. And I prove it to you. Think back to your honeymoon phase with God. I would love it if that's currently, but for some of us, we're honest. Think back to that honeymoon phase when we first started. Nobody had to ask you to do anything. Nobody asked you to do anything. You love to serve. You heard that, that the, the church is going to start at this time. You said, let me go early to clean up before anyone gets there. Nobody asked you. You did it. You knew that, that someone was in need of something. You said, how can I help? Nobody asked you. You just did it. It wasn't like sign up on this form and enjoy it. It wasn't any of that. It was a natural outpouring that when you love someone, you want to put a smile on their face. That's actually what we say during the wedding. Okay, that we say, oh, uh, Always hasten to do that which will gladden her heart. Always hasten to do that which will gladden her heart. That's love. Love is not serving in a strict, formal way. Love is, what can I do to help? Versus, I'm not judging anyone, but I'm just saying, let's be honest. Honeymoon, how can I help? Now, I'm busy. I'm tired. The schedule. Can I, next round, next round, next round. Call me, can you give me more notice next time? No, 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 nobody, no, nothing, nothing, okay? Because if I go to my wife and say, can you give me more notice? Don't give me any water. Don't give me anything. I don't want anything from you. That's not love. St. Paul says, I didn't put it up on the screen, but St. Paul says, the love of Christ compels us. Love of Christ compels us. When he's talking about his sufferings and all that he's gone through, the love of Christ compels us. I'm not doing it because I, I'm not saying like, look at me. I'm, love of Christ compels us. There's always a connection 
between love and service. But even with that, that's not the real reward right here. The real reward is not, I will make you ruler over many things. The real reward is what? Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Because in the same way I said, there's always a connection between love and service. There's always a connection, if done properly, between service and fellowship with God. St. John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. For where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. The part in the blue there, where I am, there my servant will be also. If you are serving faithfully and you are not, it is not leading you to more fellowship and joy with the Lord, something's off. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong or you're bad. I'm not saying it like that. But what I'm saying is if you are serving faithfully, and I'm not talking about in a, in a, I'm talking about in a macro sense, like over the period of time, if you are serving and you are consecrating yourself and you are giving yourself and it's not leading to more fellowship with God, something is off. Maybe it means you've lost the focus. Maybe you focus more on serving people and pleasing people and doing stuff for people than you forgot that we don't really care about the people. What we care about is the God. We care about the God of the people. Maybe it's become, maybe actually it's not the people, maybe it's the people. Maybe it's become more about like, how do I look and what I want for myself and how I want people to look at me and my reputation, me, 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 me. If you are serving faithfully and it's not leading to fellowship, something is off. And I'll point to two parables that we talked about over the past few weeks. Last week, we looked at those vineyard workers. Okay, for those who were here last week, the parable of the guys who came at the first hour, the third hour, the sixth, the ninth, and the eleventh, and they all received the denarius at the end of the day. But I'll tell you this, those first hour workers had a greater reward than the eleventh hour. And you say, but they each got a denarius. But that's not the reward. The reward should have been the time with the master. That you were able to be in the vineyard, in the house, for longer than the others. That should have been your reward. And that reminds me also of the prodigal son, the older brother, who says, you gave everything to this son, and you gave him the same inheritance that you gave me? No, 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 but son, you're with me. You're with me. I thought that was the reward, that, that we were together. It's not about the money. It's not about the reward. And if you're looking for an earthly reward, that's not my kingdom. That's not my kingdom. It's about me and time with me and fellowship with me. So if you are serving faithfully and you are not finding fellowship, something's off. You need to examine yourself. I'll point you to this verse, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Take this verse with you and meditate on it. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. If you are serving and you are not experiencing fellowship, then maybe this is a good time to go inside, evaluate, and strip away. Why is it that I'm doing it? What is it I'm trying to aim for? What reward am I looking for? In the end, all I want, Christ, all I want is you. That's my reward. Now, I wish I could just say, let's stand up for prayer and let's go home. We dealt with the first two servants and how they got their five and their two, what they did with it. God gives to each universally and fairly, even though it's not equally. And then we saw that each one, whether it's five or two or one, no matter what it is, it's an opportunity. So I'm thankful for my opportunity. It's way more than I can imagine. And that God will reward my faithfulness with more opportunities to serve him, which will naturally lead to more fellowship with him. There's a third guy in the story that we got to deal with. Verse 24. Third guy hid the thing in the, in the ground. And he says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Let's talk about this guy. Does this make any sense? Is this a logical statement that this guy's making? Like Jesus called this guy, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. I'm going to add on top of wicked and lazy, not the sharpest knife in the drawer as well. Because I just don't understand what you are saying, man. Because what you are saying to me, you're, I'm, say I'm the master, you're saying to me that it's my fault that you didn't do anything with the talent that I gave you. 
I gave you a talent and you didn't do anything with it and it's my fault. Why? Because according to you, what you said is you knew that I cared about the fruit so you were scared so you gave me no fruit. Like, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. If you knew that I cared about the fruit and you knew I wanted a return on my investment, that should have pushed you to do it. You know who this guy's the perfect picture of? Be honest, this is the world today. Perfect picture. Easiest thing to do is blame God. Easiest thing to do is blame God. Easiest thing to do is blame God. Easiest thing to do is make excuses. If God didn't want me to have sex before marriage, he wouldn't have given me the desire. That's not how it works. If God wanted me to believe in him, he would do all these miracles for me. That is not belief. The easiest thing to say, if God wanted X, he would do Y. If God wanted me to go to church more, he should make it shorter. Logic. It's easy to make excuses. It's easy to justify. Here's the thing. It's easy to do that today, but soon it won't be easy to do. Because our fourth lesson is that God is looking for a return on his investment in you. God is looking for a return on his investment. And if I could look each one in the eye, in you, in you. God is looking for a return on his investment. Because every gift that he's given us, which we already agreed is more than we can ask for. Every gift is an opportunity, but it's also a responsibility. Every gift is an opportunity, but it's also a responsibility. Logic. Any investor, uh, we have to assume God is the wisest of investors. Any investor is expecting that I give you a dollar and you at least give me back a dollar and a nickel. Like at least. And a dollar and a dime would be even better. But the master here is not looking for 10% return. He's looking for how much return? 100%. That I gave you five, I want five back. I gave you two, I want two back. And you know what the fathers of the church liken this, okay, allegorically. What does it mean that God gives five and wants five back? That God gives two and wants two back? You know what it means? It means spreading his kingdom. Like I gave you the kingdom, go share it with someone else. I gave you mercy and grace, go share it with someone else. I've forgiven you, go share that with someone else. Like bring back, like I bring you into my kingdom, go out there and bring someone else with you. Share it, spread it. Because the goal of the kingdom of God isn't to play it safe. The goal of the kingdom is not, now I got it. Whew. The goal of the kingdom is to spread it to every single person that we can. Said another way, the goal is do something great for the Lord. And this is a message that I don't think get preached enough today. And I'm guilty of it just as much as everybody else. We focus so much on don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Don't do bad, don't do bad, don't do bad. And that's an important message. I'm not saying it's not important. But that's only the first half. Like we need to get past that. And we need to get to the point of let's do something great for the Lord. God has given to us more than we can ask for. Do something great for the Lord. You know why? You know who's the example of this? This is Peter, St. Peter, okay, the apostle. He's the perfect picture of this. St. Peter was great. He was chosen by the Lord to be the leader of the 12. You know why? Not because he messed up the least. He messed up the most. The guy constantly had his foot in his mouth. He kept messing up after messing up after messing up. But you know what made him great? He didn't care. He said, let me do something great for the Lord. That's why Jesus said to him, let's go fish for men. You, Peter, you've been fishing for fish. You've been a man who fishes for fish. Let's go fish for men. And that's why Peter was the one who when all the other guys were in that boat and they were scared and it's wavy and it's stormy, Peter said, get out my way. I want to stand on the water. I want to dance on the water. So then Peter was out there doing a two-step while the rest of them were inside scared. And Jesus, I'm telling you, I don't know this for sure, but trust me, I'm right. Jesus, nothing would put a bigger smile on his face. Nothing put a bigger smile on his face than someone who says, Jesus, I trust you so much. I trust you so much. Let me do something great for you. I want to do something great for your kingdom. And too many of us, like this guy, we're playing it safe. We're saying, oh, please, God, I hope I don't sin in this. And please, God, don't. Okay, and I'm not saying that's not important. But I'm saying God wants to do something great for his kingdom. Think about it in marriage. 
is the goal of marriage. I say to my wife, I want to marry you. And my goal is not to cheat on you. That's my goal, sweetheart. Pray for me. And everyone pray for me that I don't cheat on my wife. Everyone, please pray for me. That's like, that's, that's important. <laughs> but that's not it. That's not it. What I say to her is, let's do something great for God. Like, let's together. Let's be one. Let's do something great for his kingdom. Let, 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 let's go out there and make God proud. Let's go, go put a smile on his face. And yeah, part of that is we're not going to do all that bad stuff. But let's be, do something great for the Lord. God didn't put you on this earth to not sin. God didn't put you on this earth to not sin. He put you on this earth to do something great for his name. And when are we, his people, going to stop hiding our talent? We'll go out there and do something. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, St. Paul says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you know that you are his workmanship? I don't know if anyone here is a handyman or a workman or a carpenter, but when you say workmanship, like if I go to a carpenter shop and I go and say, show me your workmanship, he's not going to bring me some raggedy old chair that with the three legged Workmanship, give me the best that you got. Workmanship is like you're entering a, a contest. This is what you're putting out there. That's my prize. And what's Jesus' prized possession? What's his prize? Jesus, show me your workmanship. Is it Mount Everest? Not better than Mount Everest. Is it, you know, the river? No, not the river. The, the, the stars or the comets or the, the, the trees? No, 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 that stuff, are you kidding me? That stuff is nothing. Workmanship? You and you and you and you. Workmanship. Why is that workmanship? I would say to Jesus, what does it do? He says, no, it does a lot. Before it was even created, I created it to do something great for me. Because you are my workmanship. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Did you know that you have a role in the kingdom of God and you can do something? Actually, there's someone that I've been telling this to a lot recently, but I believe that not just about this person, but about all of us, is that did you know that you can do something in the kingdom of God that no one else can do? Did you know that? I can do something, but you can do something that I can't do. You can do something for the kingdom of God that no one else can do because God prepared that beforehand for you. And the lesson of this series, as we wrap it up right here, is every day God gives us opportunities to live in his kingdom and to spread it. Every day is an opportunity. What are you going to do with it? This parable of the talents, this is not a, don't look at it in a macro way of like our life only. This is, okay, your Monday is the story of, this, of, of the parable of the talents. Your Monday is this. That God gives you. Some he gave five, some he gave two, some he gave one. But everyone's got opportunity. You have an opportunity tomorrow to live in his kingdom and to spread his kingdom. You have an opportunity tomorrow. What are you going to do with it? And then the next day, you're going to wake up on Tuesday, you have an opportunity to experience his kingdom and to glorify his name and to spread his kingdom. What are you going to do with it? Every single day is the parable of the talents. Don't look at it just the end of your life. Every single day, your goal, let me be very clear, your goal is not to just not lose what you've been given. Yes, don't lose what you've been given. That's the first step. But your goal is much more than that. Your goal is not to just not make stupid choices that make you lose the kingdom. Your goal is to spread the kingdom. Your goal is to do something great for him with whatever talents that he's given you. <clears throat> There's a verse in, in, in the Gospel of Matthew that expresses this, but it uses weird language. Okay, and this is, I'm going to show you a verse that is one of the most abused verses in Christian history, and it's not meant how some people take it. But let me, let's, let's, let's see it. Matthew eleven twelve, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So I said, this is a verse that's been abused because if you believed in an earthly kingdom, okay, which people did for so many years, they used to justify wars and taking over and whatever it may be based on this verse. Violence. It's not an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. And in a spiritual sense, we need to be violent in a sense, which means what? Which means we're not passive. It means we don't sit back. I'll use an expression that my coach Donnelly, my football coach in seventh grade, used to always say, no lollygagging. You know what lollygagging is? Okay, he used to always yell at us for lollygagging. Lollygagging means strolling. No, I'm going to take what he said, but I'll make it spiritual. Okay, in the kingdom of heaven, no lollygaggers. Okay, no one's going to lollygag their way in the kingdom of heaven. He used to use the same language, but with different meaning and different 
different other adjectives around. Okay, some of those things, okay, which are not suitable. No one's going to stroll into the kingdom of heaven. No one's just going to wake up and be like, oh, I found heaven. That's great. Kingdom of heaven is for those who are seeking it. Those who are ready to fight for it. Again, not fight earthly. Fight spiritual. Those who are willing to take their talents and not bury them and not play it safe. But those who are ready to go out there and see how they can make a difference for the kingdom of God. And my question to you is, are you willing to do that? If not, I told you in the beginning. Kingdom of God can't be earned. Not saying can be earned. Last week we discussed that. But it can absolutely be wasted. And I don't want to be the guy who wasted. God has invested too much in me and you for us to sit here and bury it in the ground. Last verse. At the end of the parable, Jesus said, take away the, the, the talent from that one guy and give it to the guy who had 10. He said it this, for everyone who has... More will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. God put you here for a reason. He's given you opportunities, and he will continue to give you opportunities to glorify his name. What will you do with those opportunities? Will you bury it in the ground? Will you hide it because you're scared? Will you try to lollygag your way into the kingdom and say, try to make excuses? Or will you get out there, roll up your sleeves, and say, God, I thank you for what you've given me. It's more than I deserve. Even the one talent guy is 20 years worth salary. God, you've given me so much, so much. And I, I, when I compare to others, that's when I feel down. But when I look just eyes on you, I realize that you have not left me in need of any of the works of your knowledge. There hasn't anything that God has left us. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have exactly what you need to live in his kingdom and to spread his kingdom. You have exactly what you need. No excuses. But what are we going to do with it? My prayer is that we will be faithful to what God has given to us and trust, but as I said earlier, that if we are faithful to what God has given to us, you will never, ever outgive God when all is said and done. That if we are faithful in taking what he has given to us, the reward that we will hear, that verse, enter into the joy of your Lord, will be sweeter than anything we could have possibly imagined here on this earth. And that's my prayer that all of us would hear that from the Lord. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you from the bottom of our heart. Truly, Lord, every one of us has been given more than we can ask for, more than we can imagine, and for sure, more than we deserve. Help us, Lord, to take what you have planted inside of us, the gifts you have given to us, and the opportunities and the resources, and do something great for your name, because you are truly worthy, Lord, of so much. You're worthy, Lord, of more than we can offer but we, Lord, will do our best to give you all that we have. We love you so much, Lord. We thank you for everyone who's here. And we pray, Lord, that we'd all leave here today with a renewed sense of purpose and meaning and a desire to do something great for your name. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We hope today's message inspires you in your faith journey. And at the end of this episode, we invite you to take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel.